0: This is the Blaze Radio on Demand.
1: Ladies and gentlemen. Billy Hallowell and Chris Field. The church boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous.
2: The costly ridiculous. (laughs)
0: That's right. You've got the church boys here. We're ready to roll. Uh, we, uh, we need to start, though, with a public apology. Um, many of you have tuned in today expecting to hear something wonderful and a story of redemption and a wonderful, touching story about a woman who's changed her life. And actually, God changed her life. And I know many of you are really looking forward to hearing that story today and hearing that interview today. Uh, however, it won't be happening um, <laughs> because mostly because uh, Billy Halliwell is a frigging liar. Uh, my friend Billy, how are you today? <laughs> you know, you know. I mean, listen, I'm good. No, nope, no, nope, nope. well, no, 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 no. In the pre-show stuff that we talked about,
3: what was the first thing you were going to do today? Well, I have public been forced, apology. <laughs> forced to offer up <laughs> a public apology that Brittany Ruiz um, is not going to be coming on our show. She is the well, she will be coming on the show. Let me before I apologize. Let me clarify. Next week we will have Brittany on the show. She is the former. Porn star. Liar. Um liar! I am not a liar. She is coming on the show, and uh, she's going to talk about her story of redemption. But yeah, it didn't work out this week, so I owe everybody an apology because I promised, I pledged last week that she would be here, and she's not. But we have another guest today.
0: That's true, we do have a, we do have a, a great interview coming up
3: today. Why don't you tease that a little bit because we're going to get to that later in the show? So okay, this interview is with the the minister Lewis Farrakhan. Okay, I'm lying. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish it was, um, but we will be talking about uh, Louis Farrakhan. But th- this particular interview that we will be having on the show today, it's Judah Smith, and he's got a new book out. So you might you might be familiar with him, mega church pastor out what, at the who city is church.
0: Judas Kiss, is that what he said? Judah Smith. Oh, Judah Smith. Sorry.
3: Um, anyway, yeah, Judah will be on the show. We'll be talking with him. I have an exclusive interview with him about his new book, which is called Life Is, and then it's like fill in the blank. Okay. So I've done my apologies. Okay. So that's out of the way. We've teased Judah, who's going right. to be on the show. Judas Kiss will be on the show later in today.
0: Ju- Judah Smith will be on the show later today. Uh, uh,
3: God, just... Do we, Do we? I mean, do we launch, <laughs> we're going from a lot of fun into oh, something I know, that... I know, I know, I know. We've got to get into something serious. Well, it's actually funny. I mean, it's entertaining, and and I mean, anybody who has before we get into this, I have to say, I have listened to more Louis Farrakhan sermons than probably anybody, and that may not be true, but I know in the past three years, four years actually, at the Blaze, I have written countless stories about the minister Louis Farrakhan, who so is much the so, head of Nation of Islam. So much, so much
0: so that tell tell the people what you said about your daughter.
3: My poor my poor two and a half year old, no joke. It it I realized one day when she was about eight months old yeah, you know, she was always next to me when I was doing work at night and I'd be watching because the, these sermons go on for like four hours. Right. And so, you know, I'd be watching a sermon and I'd look over and she's like cooing in her, you know, her <laughs> little bouncer. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh, my baby has listened to more Louis Farrakhan sermons than she has any other Christian, any Christian preacher. Um, <laughs> <So> and- <laughs> you're, you know, you and I have the discussion. You're trying to figure out why is not my kid acts like a terror when we go to church?
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then it now finally clicked. Yeah.
3: Um, so we, we stopped that practice, and I stopped playing. them. I put earbuds in, when I listened to Farrakhan. But no joke, for eight months, she heard one sermon a week. So
0: Billy has a story <laughs> this week on The Blaze. And what's the, what's the title? I'm going to get to the headline here. The headline is, did Louis Farrakhan just call for armed resistance? Great question in the headline. Very strong question. Minister's fiery call to all, quote, black soldiers in the U.S. armed forces, unquote, to, quote, come home, unite, and fight. So... <laughs> The man's a lunatic. <laughs> Doesn't he? The one who talked about the spaceship, like with all yes. the wheels, and I mean, like almost like the he's where, the UFOs,
3: yes. right? The
0: UFOs and all that. like. There's, and then the number. What's the number? Fifty-one or fifty? So what's the number that he likes? Remember, there's a big number.
3: I blocked it out, Chris. I don't remember. I have, I have I blocked just, it out. Like, but what I will tell a... you is that we've done two, we've done two Farrakhan stories this week. <laughs> One of them was, he actually said, here's the thing, when I'm covering Farrakhan, Mm -hmm. I have to, and I have to qualify all of this because it's so crazy. I have to watch things over and over again because I don't believe it's happening. Like, I'm like, wait, no, I'm not seeing this, right? There must be something else that explains what he's saying. And so I'll watch the clip over and over and over again, trying to figure it out. Um, and I mean, I have never, I have to give him credit because I have never <laughs> seen anybody in my life who could stand up for three and a half hours and go on and I on know. and on. It's like and he, I don't
0: get it. He has, he has like a paid subscri- subscription to crazy. It, it is unreal. You, you, <laughs> it's put a vid- you, put, you put a video up here. It's like nine minutes long. And let's just play a little game, okay? I'm just going to click anywhere on this video randomly. I have no idea. and uh, hand to God. I have no idea what's going to come out of this guy's mouth. When I click on the video, I don't, I don't know. It could be swear words. And if it is, we'll have to go, I'll go back and I'll bleep it out when we go into post. But I'm telling you, I don't know what it's going to say. I've only watched about the first 30 seconds of this video. So what we're going to start with is we'll start with the beginning of the video and, and just see if he sounds crazy. And then we'll just go to a couple other random spots and see if he sounds crazy. Okay. You ready? Let's see. Let's see if he sounds crazy just by clicking anywhere randomly in the video, okay? Here we go. This is the Michael beginning. Brown. Here, let's, let's start here. Here's now, the very beginning.
2: We believe that local government, state government, and federal government should always be on the side of truth and justice. Okay. 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 Right. That's not horribly crazy, but he still sounds concerned. crazy. No matter what the no, no color. No matter what? No matter what the color. But when they desire to kill us, uh and then we complain, <laughs> like we did with Michael Brown.
0: Yeah, it's just like with Michael Brown, right? which, by the way, was shown.
2: What did he say?
0: Hands up, don't shoot. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Farrakhan. Let's see. Hands up, don't shoot. I think that the Obama Holder Justice Department just came out and said, oh, by the way, that whole, that whole story was a line of a shinola. It didn't happen. You know, the rage that's <laughs> I'm
3: just letting you go. Cause
0: I just, I watched this man and he's always spoken like this and they just very super calm, but the rage is in there. I'm just waiting for him to explode. I mean, he is the way he presents himself. He wants everybody to think that he's calm and relaxed and that sort of thing. And, uh, but he, if, if anybody weren't, were to not surprise me if they went and shot up a post office, that's the guy. Right? Oh my I mean, the man's a nut. And you listen to me, there's a whole bunch of rage in there, and he's holding it all back, and it's repressed and repressed. And eventually, something's going to snap, and there's going to be here's, headlines. He, Louis Farrakhan shoots a <laughs> shoots, shoots post office. My, concern, no one's my surprised. concern about
3: this is that people are listening to this. And that's what I've always said. I mean, and listen, religious freedom in this country, you can Absolutely. believe whatever you want, Absolutely. you can say whatever you want. I mean, he had, he had well, doesn't, within reason, doesn't make he you had a sermon the other day, doesn't make you not crazy. Right. No. And and listen, I mean, he just says things and I'm like, what? I mean, one of the things he said the other day was that many Israelis and Zionist Jews played key roles in September 11th. So that's one of his theories. Um, Okay, well, that's odd. And then and then in this in this particular sermon. Uh, and I guess I'll just, spoiler alert, he says, and you said it in the header, he calls all black soldiers who are serving in the American military to come home, unite, and fight. And the whole premise, you know, he brought up Michael Brown, the whole premise is that there's inequality in this country and that rather than helping people overseas who you've never met, right. you should come back and fight to protect your own. And, here's, and it's vi- it's very veiled. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't, like, what does that mean? Right.
0: It's And it's, it is veiled, but there is, I mean... You can read into it what you want, but I, it, it doesn't matter how far you read into it. I don't think you can go too far in what you read into it. a lot of the stuff that he says. Right. Some of the stuff that he has said in the past about um, you know, being fathers and taking care of your family, I can see a lot I can respect a lot of that, except that his, old, his, his motives for that are not pure. He doesn't have pure motives on it. However. I can respect some of the sentiments that he has expressed about taking care of your family, all that kind of stuff. Here's one of the things that's really disturbing, one of many things that's really disturbing about Farrakhan, and it's his followers. And you talked about they've got a, he has a large group of followers. He's Nation of Islam, right? That's that's his religion is he's Islamic, he's Nation of Islam. But there is a huge uh, Christian or so-called Christian following of him because he's because in the evangelical black community. The like the Million Man March that he led and all that kind of stuff. That wasn't just a million Muslim men march.
3: Well, no, he talks a lot about Jesus, and that's one of the interesting things when you watch these sermons. I mean, he brings Jesus up quite a bit, uh, and and because I mean, he knows that Islamic appeals faith, to his Jesus is, you know, he is a prophet, and he's one of the ma- most major prophets in the Islamic faith. In but Nation of Islam is very different than uh, mainstream Islam. Can I just read something? Because this yes. is from something he said. This was last February, so it was okay. a year ago. He said, quote, according to the history of the white race, they are guilty of making trouble causing war among the people and themselves ever since they have been on our planet Earth. So the God of the righteous has found them disagreeable to live with in peace and has decided to remove them from the face of the Earth. Um. So how is how is one
0: how is one supposed to take that?
3: Now, these quotes actually and I can't attribute these to Farrakhan. I think those quotes were actually from um Elijah Muhammad I'm I'm pretty sure with the writings of Elijah Muhammad but but he stood before you know a, a congregation and shared those words at last year's Savior's Day and that's like their annual it's like I guess it's one week or two weeks I don't know but it's like their annual gathering at Nation of Islam mm. and so these are the writings of Elijah Muhammad um, who was the former leader of the Nation of Islam and he's sharing these and talking about race I mean it's just so divisive yeah
0: it is so let's 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 pick back up in our game and see here if if anything else crazy comes out of the minister's mouth here let's let's try something
2: else here let's just uh, uh, i'm going to click somewhere randomly so when they came they jumped right out of their car and within two seconds had shot him dead
3: who's he talking about uh tamir rice the twelve-year-old. Did that city really happen? Of
2: Cleveland, I read today, well, yeah. This is
3: yeah, it did, and this is the whole battle. I mean, he brings up, he goes through in this sermon the different was... examples. You know, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, and you know, he brings up Ferg- the Ferguson incident, obviously with Michael so, Brown. So he
0: he equates the
3: Michael Brown and the and the Rice shootings. He kind of cl- he collects all of them together in this sermon with the notion of African Americans being mistreated in America. Um, And then connects that back into this call for the military to come, you know, black blacks in the military to come home.
0: But he would have a he would have a hissy fit. And rightfully so, if if a white pastor or any leader were to lump all black, all misdeeds committed by uh, by black folks and equate them to then we need to get rid of all black folks.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's odd to me. Um, You know, you can have you can have a debate and a discussion about inequality in city areas and what you think is inequality versus what police go through. I mean, these are all valid discussions, but, you know, these are this is not approached in a way of let's have a discussion. This is approached in a way of you come home. Um, He actually says and it's funny because he put a tweet out advertising this sermon and the tweet said, "Why I'm calling all Black soldiers in the U.S. armed forces to come home, unite, and fight for our own lives." You know, that's similar to what our headline was. Uh, the, this is what the call is. So he's using all those examples and then putting that call out, okay, which I think is, da- this is dangerous. All
0: right, let's let's try the game one more time. Just Tamir a second Rice's here. Let me go one one more fault.
3: random place. Random.
0: Here we go.
2: Tamir Rice.
0: Again, to with Rice.
2: Well, we got a brother of ours, a minister that.
0: You have to watch me to get the full loony effect.
2: Go towards the end. Just pick a spot in the last two minutes. Okay, here. Let's try the... it right here. I shot down in front of you. Front of... <clears throat> Do you think that we look kind of bad fighting overseas and walking in America like nothing is happening to us? I tell you what. I'm calling on all the soldiers is it. that fight for America, come home, and let's unite and fight for our lives that the federal government refuses to fight for us. Then we must fight for ourselves. Here's what I don't
3: understand. Okay. I don't understand. Yeah. If you're going to be united and you want people we should all as Americans be united, it doesn't matter. We should stand up against injustice when we see it. All of that is fine. But you're specifically calling for military members to come home. That is why this is so bizarre. Yeah, it's and it's and
0: unless and, and anybody think he's just speaking off the cuff and happened to say this. He went, he went specifically and purposely right back to his remarks. If you watch this video, he's saying all this other stuff about the rice shooting and that sort of thing. And he goes right back. When he starts talking about the military, he goes right back to his script, and he's reading it. He has prepared that statement. This wasn't an off-the-cuff call for that kind of action. This was a purposeful, this is what I plan to say, this is my point, This is the. these are the final sentences of my call to action, is that
3: U.S. soldiers come home and fight against us? I mean, is that that nuts? I mean, I just, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. But I mean, you know, the, the 9-11 stuff, which was actually, I think it was in the same sermon. We did two separate stories on it. I so mean, crazy, this definitive crazy. claim. Sorry. Whoa. What is going on? I'm sorry. Over- <laughs> I'm just messing with my computer and I hit the wrong button. I'm sorry. I don't even know what that was. Go ahead. I thought it was Farrakhan for a minute, but no. I, I was like, what is he, like, what's he doing? What is that noise?
0: Sorry, it was. I was gonna, and then I'm thinking, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna play it for fair uses. It was just, it was so crazy. Someplace else, we're all
3: stocked up here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know. So, I mean, I would love to not have to cover these sermons. Anymore. Yeah, I would. Love that would. That's my goal in life.
0: Well, but you see, and. You would love to not have to cover these stories. It'd be nice if he weren't saying these horrible, radical things. But in America, you get to unless you are unless you're calling for the overthrow of the government. If that's a call for violent use of force against the government, that is not protected speech.
3: Yeah, and I think that this is sort of how Westboro Baptist Church works. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, people know just how far, and I'm not comparing the two. There's obviously very, very big differences between Farrakhan what? and Westboro. Wait, wait, wait. The
0: okay, That's, you can say that. I don't, I would love to have that discussion to clarify what those differences are one day. Sure. The, and but, we should do that. And we and should, we do, should do, that do that down the road.
3: Yes, I'm not defending Westbrook. I'm just saying there are they're dealing with different subjects. That's yep. what I would say. Okay. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, these people know how to go just so far without crossing a line. Yeah, and they're I mean, good at that, and right. that's what they do. Right. So. so
0: it's but it's you know, he has to be super careful saying those kinds of things. One because it's just stupid, but the other is from a legal standpoint, he has to be very careful because calling for an armed insurrection is not protected speech. It's why. And we've got a we've got a an excerpt of it in the in the magazine uh, in this in the March issue from a book called um, crap. Let me
3: grab the book. Teasing in a book you don't have the title for. Oh, Look at I just, that. I
0: just blanked out. I knew it was something. Uh, no,
3: honestly, anybody listening needs to realize that we have so much content in our brains that it just you don't retain it.
0: No, no, no. My 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 brain is smooth as a cue ball. <laughs> <laughs> I have hardly any content. And the problem is that I just, I'm just dumber in a bag of hammers. Anyway, it's a book called Hollywood traders and it's put actually put out by a friend of mine named Alan Riskin, who was at human events for decades. And he was friends with, by the way, uh, Stan Evans died this last week, which was, uh, heartbreaking to me. Um, he was a, one of those anti-communist conservative heroes that not too, not enough people know about. Uh, anyway, if you got a chance, re- research and Stanton Evans, uh, just an incredible man in the anti-communist conservative front. Anyway, this book, Hollywood Traitors, he gets into um this discussion about, yeah, you know, the, the huac was right to go after the Hollywood tan who got, you know, blacklisted in Hollywood because their speech is not protected. The things that they were calling for, they actually wanted they were in favor of Stalin, an overthrow of the US government by Stalin backed forces by the Soviets. And they were all for the use of force to take over the U.S. government. So the Hollywood 10 were not constitutionally protected. Anyway, that goes on. I was going off on a little rant there, but it's an excellent book. You should read Hollywood Traders. Anyway, those kinds of things that Farrakhan does and says, they are not protected. So
3: Yeah, it's an interesting debate. I mean, it really is. And I think it it's troubling because you don't understand. You listen to it and you say, okay, this sounds like what I... I mean, it sounds... Like armed resistance, but is it? I mean, and, right. and that, you know, and this is where it gets muddy and murky. But, you know, while we're on the topic of armed resistance, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No even, I'm, I'm, not, I'm really no not connection. sure where
0: you're going with this. I'm sitting here. It's, I'm, as, I'm as excited as the listener. I have no um, idea what you're going, we, where you're I going next. I actually have
3: nothing more to say about <laughs> resistance, but it would not be the church boys. That's true. It would not be. Do we need to go to a commercial break, actually? Am I... We do. You know, it's been like
0: a while, so we should probably take a quick break. We probably should do that, right? come back. I think we'll, I know where you're going next. So uh, <laughs> with that tease, we've got what Billy's going to talk about and a quick quiz and then the interview, all right? Uh, we will be right back.
1: And now, back to the show real pain, pain
3: as usual satan is <laughs> sounding very angry uh and just i Billy, apparently you... have chris field in a total um laugh bit.
0: the face the face that you make because <laughs> <laughs> the bumper's fading out and billy's just looking at me like we'd had a discussion about okay what are we going to talk about and then there was just nothing and i'm like and he looked at me like I was supposed to, I felt like you were looking at me like I was supposed to say something and I'm looking at you just waiting and I'm just going, <laughs> I don't, I think we're stuck.
3: <laughs> we are here. And listen, We have to remind people, right, because we haven't brought this up, this show, to go and like our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash thechurchboys, and our Twitter account is the same. It's twitter.com slash thechurchboys, and Chris Field is the general manager of those accounts. So if you'd like to harass him, you could reach him there. You could reach him at chrismfield on Twitter. What's the M? Is it Michael? Uh, Meredith? Meredith. Melanie?
0: (laughs) It's Michael. Michael. Named after me, Papa.
3: There you go. There you go. All right. Um, All right. So our next story, which again has nothing to do at all with armed resistance (laughs) or alleged armed resistance, is this story about Don Lemon over on CNN. This was this (laughs) Don (laughs) Lemon, America's number one journalist. There you go. And he is a CNN anchor, if you're not familiar with him. And this whole thing about Ben Carson spun totally out of control this week. And actually, I mean, Ben Carson created the scenario himself and by saying what he said about prisons and um, holding them up as an example of how, you know, all gay people choose to be gay because um, people enter prison straight and, and come out gay. Um With that said, this developed into a CNN panel discussion with Ben Ferguson, who's a conservative commentator, Sally Cohn, a liberal, um, and then Mark Lamont Hill, who's this professor who I'm pretty sure is progressive, seems to be. Oh, yeah. Wait, big time. Big time. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Very progressive. So. What happens during this segment, though, that's that's so interesting and they debate about what Ben Carson said is, is something that Don Lemon actually said as the anchor. And I'm just going to read it for you because I think it, it piqued my interest for a number of reasons. And it, and it was this, quote, There is no definition of marriage as between a man and woman. Marriage is between two people. The courts in many states and the Supreme Court has decided that marriage is between two people, whether it's the same sex or opposite sex. So we'll move on. So so he was any to any two crack. people, any two people, any so two people, any two people. Me and my daughter. Oh boy. Oh boy.
0: Is marriage You're between? In, wait, no, 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 no. I'm not saying incest or anything like that. I'm saying just that statement by itself is ridiculous, right? I mean. If you don't want to have the quote slippery slope argument you have to qualify
3: that statement if you're if you're uh, Don Lemon any right. two people Well, here's the thing. Here's my issue with the statement. And again, I think we can all have this debate in this discussion. But when you're saying that this debate has been settled, yeah, okay. the courts in 37 states may have settled settled the legality of a definition, but that doesn't change the debate. Um, We can't just, quote, move on because people really have strong feelings about this on both sides. And even if all 50 states, you know, when the Supreme Court hears the cases this year, if they decide that every state has to make gay marriage legal, that doesn't end the debate that religious people have about what they believe the meaning of marriage is. Right. Um, so, you know, it was just sort of a weird statement to me um, to say, well, marriage, marriage is between two people. It doesn't matter what sex they are. Well, it does for a lot of people. And and you know, I mean, this is not an issue that I'm incredibly passionate about. I know a lot of people <laughs> You write are. about it. Like, you write six stories a day about it, but you're not, you're not passionate about it. <laughs> I think it's an interesting debate, right? <laughs> but, I, but I think when you have somebody saying something like this, it's just not accurate. Right. I mean, the courts... Okay, OK, so when the courts decide anything, I mean, we could we could turn this argument. and I know a lot of people on the left love to do this when it comes to slavery and everything else. Well, the right. courts decided a lot of things in the past that weren't good. And I'm not right. comparing slavery and gay marriage at all. But this, I'm, the, not, the, I'm just saying that courts don't always make good rulings in right. the eyes of some people. Right. So therefore, it's just a faulty sort of argument to And make. for him
0: to say it's settled. It's not even a question anymore. It, what are you talking about? It's settled. If it were settled, we wouldn't be having the debate.
3: Right. And that was my point. And I mean and, and like I said, I think if people are listening to this they're assuming that I'm somebody who is I'm actually not opposed to the rights associated with with gay marriage at all. Yes, you, I don't no, you are. I don't care. No, but I'm you hate him. I, I'm concerned about the debate and I think there should be a debate and somebody shouldn't just say we're going to move on now. It's over because it's it's not over. Right. And there was and there was a
0: there was actually I mean for Don Lemon to say something like that is totally ridiculous because he's well again, Don Lemon has proven himself to be not America's number 1 journalist actually or maybe even ne- America's number 1 thinker but that said there's a poll that came out uh, a few weeks ago from ugov.com and a lot of people said it's an outlier i don't know that it is an outlier but it was a it, it was the question was do you favor or oppose allowing gays and lesbians to marry legally and the and the survey said and the, the overall findings was 45% favor 42 oppose okay that was the overall findings of all Americans that they that they polled they pulled, they, then they broke it down into male versus female. They broke it into age categories. And they also broke it into race and they broke it into three races. They asked the question of whites Whites favor or oppose? Favor 48, oppose 39. Blacks favor 31, oppose 51 by 20 points. And then they asked Hispanics Hispanics favor 39%, oppose 47%. So eight percent, but there's an eight-point advantage for opposition to gay marriage among Hispanics, a twenty-point advantage for opposition to gay marriage among blacks. Yet they're not called haters.
3: Well, I mean, and this is, I mean, there's a lot of cult, interesting cultural sort of discussions Absolutely. and debates here.
0: But why is that cultural? Why is that cultural discussion excused and allowed? And I think it should be. But if it's a white Christian evangelical church, they're haters for not wanting
3: to, to support gay marriage. Listen, I think that this all needs to be on the table. It all needs to be talked about. The problem is that Christians have done a terrible job of talking about the issue in the past, and I mean, it's only part of the problem. You can't—I can't blame Christians totally, but they've right. done a really bad job. We've done a really bad job of talking about the issue, so it makes it hard now to sort of reinsert and have a discussion about it when we've been so poor at how we've handled yeah. not only the issue but how gay people have been treated in general. It, it just, it's just—it's a complicated issue. But to your point. There was another poll when I was at NRB um, last week that, that was really fascinating, and it was released by the Family Research Council, which I think everybody knows is a pretty conservative group that defends traditional marriage, but they conducted a poll in which they claimed that more than half of Americans, 53%, believe that marriage should be defined only as a union between a man and a woman. Um, last point, because I don't want to go on and on about this. <laughs> yes, you do. It be, I, I mean, I do. But it's really complicated when you ask these polling questions because you could ask about the morality of it. You can ask about whether it should be legal. There's lots of people who think gay marriage should be legal who don't necessarily agree with it theologically. So right. it becomes very complicated. Good, good. All right. So I, let's let's.
0: I don't want to take a break yet because I want our next break to be the, the the cool interview that we've got. Let's. I mean, if if you're cool waiting for a few more minutes, I'm cool waiting. Okay, good. So That's w- cool. <laughs> I want to get into this quiz. Uh, where is this? Oh, the the quiz. Now, I know I remember now. I know you're better because Oliver posted the quiz before you could get to it. In fact, yep. before you were awake, I think. Probably because you were sleeping till noon as you usually do.
3: Well, I'm sorry Oliver Darcy that I cannot work 17 and a half hours a day or 20 hours a day, whatever god-awful amount of work you do, which, by the way, I commend you for it. But um, I, was, I was actually sleeping at like 4 a.m. when this was published, so yeah. I was not able. I get up at 5, and I missed it by about an hour, so I could yeah. not post the story. So That's I did right. initially not take it because I was annoyed.
0: <laughs> <You're> just, <laughs> just a whiny little baby is what you are. All right, so last time we took a quiz, it was very popular. It was, um, which Bible character are you? And um, we got some interesting results from that uh if you want to hear that go back a couple weeks to the episode titled uh, Abraham versus Rahab i think is the name of that podcast if you go to the churchboys.com but let's take a quiz today and i'll just we'll make it quick cuz it's a short quiz and um we'll do it the same way we did last time uh you answer the questions and i'll answer the questions i'll just have all the results here on my page and then i'll read your results uh as we go through are you okay with that
3: yeah whatever okay. the qu- whatever, whatever floats your boat you know what
0: forget you golly Hallowa. <laughs> It's a church boy show, so I'll just say forget you. All right, which passage of the Bible best describes you? Now, this is a silly quiz, I think. I'm just reading this now. (laughs) Which passage of the Bible best describes you? Answer these six questions and find out. That's an intriguing headline, Mr. Darcy. All right, let's play. Here we go. We'll click this. Now, (laughs) you have to understand that Billy and I are both taking this for the first time, so let's see what we get here, okay? Uh, Billy, question number one. You're sitting in your living room, and there's a piece of paper with your name on it in front of you. You turn over and find a drawing of... A lover, a physician, a That's gardener, awkward. a gardener, <laughs> an artist, an activist, a soldier.
3: I mean, what does a lover look like? I don't even know what a lover looks like. You are looking at him, my friend. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I think. What are you going to select? I'm not telling you. You just tell me. People are interested in your answer. No, interested in My answer. All, all right. All right. All right. I'm going to select. An activist, even though I don't like that word. Yeah, but you kind of are. I know, I know. But
0: not in a negative, it has a negative connotation. We'll go, he'll go with activist. Okay, and here's mine, all right. All right, next question for Billy. You hear a knock on your door. It's a strange woman who needs healing, convincing, money, or to leave.
3: I mean, if she's strange, she needs to leave. (laughs) It's a
0: strange, I I think it's not like a strange woman, like she's a strange person, but like a strange woman isn't like, you don't know her. Oh, <laughs> not like it's not. like It's not like you're having. It's not like all Barbara right. Mikulski has shown up at your door. You go, it's a strange woman. It's not like it's a stranger who happens to be okay. female.
3: Well, I mean, I don't know what her needs are here, but I guess. All right. So. I'm. You know what I'm going to say? You know what I'm going to say? I am going to say that this strange woman who apparently isn't all that strange. She needs money, probably. Okay. All right.
0: Your weapon is. Truth and Justice, an M4 and 9mm, The Forces of Nature, a paintbrush, camera, or pen, or love? I'm going to go with the camera or pen. Okay. Or keyboard, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. There's mine. All right. Next for Billy. Here we go. For you, the best gift is giving, security, artistic expression, equality. Who wrote these questions for crying? Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Jeez, oh, Pete. Okay, this, let's, let's hurry through this because this is starting to annoy me. All right. For you, the best gift is giving, security, artistic expression, equality for all, family, or communion with nature. Family. Family. There's Billy. There's me. Click click, 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 All right. And, oh, my gosh. Okay. Your shield is? Your heart. (laughs) You're again with these. A tree. (laughs) Okay. You know what? Somebody needs their attention, God. All right. Here we go. Your shield is your heart. Your art made of Kevlar. A tree or righteousness? Um, There's a Bible answer there.
3: I guess truth isn't even listed. I'm going to go with heart because I think I'm a nice person deep down. Heart. Okay. And
0: let's see, question, I think this is the last question. The world needs thanks to be preserved, compassion, protection, to wake up, more depth. More depth uh, more to depth. wake up. More Okay. To wake up. Let's see what you got here. What I get here. All right. Here's Billy's answer. Calculating, spinning, calculating. You got... So- <laughs> Song of Solomon... Song of Solomon 8.6. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. And then it gives Oh, this is nice. It gives a nice little, silly little explanation of who you are. You're one who is not afraid to love. You are the lover type, and that is very much a unique gift in the cynical world. Whether it is love for your family, for your friends, or your love, your <laughs> or your lover <laughs> slash partner, you have mastered the art that is loving you are who people think of when they need a boost in their life or a spring in their step because your love uplifts never let that go even if unrequited there's nothing wrong with loving and wanting to. i can't even okay, get to it, i don't wanting to think, love
3: here's the no deal. that's definitely you i i don't hmm? know i mean i didn't see a lover on the paper in the beginning <laughs> oh i see a lover
0: every <laughs> every time we do this i see a lover all right here's and here's my calculating my result okay okay this is interesting this is not necessarily helpful. Matthew twenty three thirty three. You snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you <laughs> escape being condemned to hell? <laughs> well, how now how is that helpful? And here's a little, and now here's a little explanation underneath it. It says, "You are so screwed."
3: <laughs> I can't even finish reading. This is ridiculous.
0: Who put wait a this quotes together? Wait. Hmm.
3: I thought I was doing yours secretly on the side without telling you, and what I got for you was not that verse. I got Revelation twenty fourteen and 15. What did you get? Then, <laughs> then death and Hades were thrown into <laughs> the lake of fire. <laughs> <laughs> wait, I'm not done. Oh. The lake of fire is the second death. Oh. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That's what I got for you. I hate. And, and just, then under the description, it just says "damned." Period.
0: <laughs> you know what?
3: <laughs>
0: oh, I oh, hope your boy. I hope your child continues to throw food at people in church.
3: I'm not. Are you talking about my daughter? Because <laughs> y- yeah, your evil,
0: evil spawn.
3: <laughs> she threw one box of uh, raisins. An at entire a box. Bonnet.
0: An entire box of raisins.
3: Well, they were they were little boxes of raisins, <laughs> and uh, in all honesty. I mean, you can only feed a kid so much to keep them quiet in the sanctuary before. You and considering,
0: know. and considering she's your child, she doesn't have much of an arm, so I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it didn't hurt anybody. All right, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna take a break real quick. We will be <laughs> after this stupid segment. We're gonna get into something more sublime. Uh, we're gonna take a break. We will be right back with an interview with uh, Judas Kiss. Just a minute. The
1: Church Wars. The Church Boys. Man, I eat these
3: guys. So I talked with Judah Smith, the pastor I told you guys about earlier in the show from the City Church in Seattle, Washington. And he has a new book out, Life Is, and then it's like fill in the blank. And you fill in the blank. And he, I guess he, he goes through the book and he sort of talks through what he thinks life is. And so we talked about that book. We talked about you know, really his career as a pastor. And what I what I loved about this interview was just how honest he was. You know, when when I said to him, I asked him a question that I love to ask pastors, and that's, what is the most difficult thing you faced in ministry? And his response, and I won't spoil it, was just really honest. And it really, I think, helped me, and I think it'll help listeners realize that pastors are people too. You know, we tend to elevate pastors on this on this pedestal, on this platform, without really thinking through, the fact that they go through a lot of the same things we do. So, uh just love the interview with him. I think you guys will enjoy it. It's Billy Hollowell here and I'm here with Judah Smith, the pastor at the City Church in Seattle. How you doing today, Judah?
1: Yeah, doing great, Billy. Thanks for having me on.
3: So, listen, I know you've been you've been on almost every single show. I feel like the past couple of days you've been everywhere. You've got to be you've got to be completely exhausted. I know how these how these tours go. Um, but but you, don't, you don't sound that exhausted. You sound, you sound pretty excited, which is pretty amazing considering the schedule you've kept the last couple days.
1: Uh, uh, I love it, man. I'm, I'm one of those guys. I don't have a lot of talent, but I do love the doc, and it just seems to energize me, so it's great.
3: Well, I, I, I find that hard to believe, uh, that you don't have a lot of talent. But uh, but yeah, let, all right. <laughs> let me ask you this, because I think you know the title of your book is really interesting, and I know it follows the title of your last book. So tell me a little bit about why you wrote Life Is, you know, fill in the blank, and, you know, what you're hoping readers take away from it.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really hoping to start uh, meaningful dialogues, and that was kind of our previous project, is dialoguing about uh, maybe the most compelling person who's ever lived, Jesus Christ, uh, no no matter what you believe religiously, and then... You know, moving from there into uh, another imperative dialogue and question, and that is, you know, what is life all about? Life is blank. How would you fill in the blank? And um, so the, the the book is written in a form where it's like, hey, I would fill in the blank these four ways, and I just outline it. It's uh, it's not always concrete sequential. Um, you can pick up the book and kind of open it up right in the middle and probably get a bit of, bit of something uh, positive out of it. Um, but, you know, it's not exhaustive. Uh, and uh, this is just what I feel life is about, uh, based on the ancient scripture. And um, the ball is now in, in, in the reader's court. And, and, the, and the point is, at the very least, hey, let's have a conversation about something that's pretty important. Why am I sucking oxygen on planet Earth? And I think in the information age, we're so super busy. Our faces and our mobile devices, life is just going at, a, at this rapid speed. I think we need to press pause now and again and go, okay, wait, What is there a bigger meeting, a greater meeting, a bigger picture, a grand scheme? Um, why, why am I here? There, there may be something beyond the American dream, the 9-to-5, the checking and savings account, the retirement fund. Um, I wonder if there's something more important at play.
3: So let me ask you this, because I know one of the four points, and I think this is a really interesting one, considering sort of where we are right now. I mean, you turn on the news, you, you read anything, and it's like, you know, peace is sort of the last thing you think about when you watch the news because the world's so crazy. So, you know, when you say life is to be at peace with God and yourself, what, is, what does that mean?
1: Yeah, well, uh, it's obviously predicated based upon the radical revolutionary teachings of Jesus. And um, Jesus uh, came to bring peace. And it's interesting, Jesus is quoted as saying to his uh, early followers he says, peace I bring to you, and of course it's this beautiful word steeped in ancient Hebrew, shalom. And I don't give it as the world gives it, which is to say, God doesn't grant us circumstantial peace. And I think that's what oftentimes we're looking for. We're looking for all of our ducks to be in a row, all of our eyes to be dotted, our T's to be crossed, and then and only then will I finally have this sense of contentment and quietness of heart and mind. Jesus uh, offers this extraordinary peace that's transcendent beyond our condition, our circumstance, uh, struggle, uh, pestilence, diseases. It's this inner contentment and peace that I know who I am, and I know whose I am. I know that I'm created for a purpose, and um, that I matter to God, and and I am of infinite value. And I think there's this beautiful contentment. Of course, the ancient Hebrew word shalom means this idea of wholeness. It's not just you know, uh, a lack of sound. Uh, it's this idea of I feel whole, I feel complete in, in knowing who God is and who I am. And I think, you know, when that's absent in life, I think there's this groping, there's this searching, there's this endless
3: discontentment and displacement that settles in that robs us from being truly human. No, it's true. I mean, you think about what the world would look like, right, if what you just said was something we all did, right? And not just all of us. I mean, everybody across, the, it would just be a, a totally transformed world. Obviously, that's not the world we live in, and, and you know, it, it's unfortunate. But, you know, I guess when I when I listen to you talk, and when I listen to any pastor talk, I mean, I've grown up my whole life um, as a Christian, right? But I think culturally, well, sometimes you you take it for granted a little bit when you've had it your whole life. And I guess one of the questions I have for you, and I, I love to ask pastors this, but, you know, when you look at the Bible and you look at sort of the whole package, all of Christianity, what about it convinces you the most that it's true? I know that's sort of a loaded question, but when you see the whole picture. It.
1: It's a beautiful question, though, and I think an imperative question. And I think more, more pastors and spiritual leaders should, should, should probably speak to it. Um, I think for me, obviously, the ancient scripture is beautiful, and, 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 and I think uh, mysterious, and I think moving. Uh, I think, you know, I would, I would start there in terms of it's this, it's this multi-layered narrative that is just beautiful. I think people have a misnomer about the ancient scripture. I think they believe it's a collection of ethics and morals, do's and don'ts, and it's kind of a history book. But really, in its essence, it's a love story. It's a love story that Creator God has with humanity, it moves from a garden to a nation to the world, and it is uh, filled with broken people. It's filled with pain. It's filled with beauty. It's filled with majesty, redemption, forgiveness, grace. Like it's this, it's it's the greatest story ever told, without question. And so I, you know, find myself oftentimes in Scripture just so engaged in this beautiful love story that God has with humanity. But I think beyond that, Jesus even said this to the ancient, uh, to, to the philosophers and to the religious teachers and, and priests and pastors of the day. He says, you know, if you search, um, you know, the Scriptures, Speaking, of course, of the first five books in what now we call the Bible, he says, you search this and this, you think you have life. But Jesus at this points to me. And for me, it's, you know, finding Jesus, the person of Jesus, um, in the Scripture and encountering a relationship. This, this book speaks to a living God, a God that's actively, intimately involved in our everyday life. And I just, just, to be incredibly candid, I feel like I have experienced God in a real, genuine, authentic way. And when I read the Bible, I'm reading about this romance that I have with a living God and God has been put on full display in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's um, it's something that completely moves me every day and something that um, my passion and desire for Him um, seems to grow every day. And I guess that's just my passion. I just want to share the story. I want to share God's love story with anyone that will listen. You know?
3: Yeah, and I think, you know, I was talking with Lee Strobel. We just did an interview with him about his new book, The Case for, for Grace, and he was he was talking about wow. you know the evidence being, you know, for him... One of the things being people's transformed lives. And he was a former atheist, you know, just sort of seeing what God does in people's lives, how he changes them. Um, And it really is a fascinating thing to see that. Everything you just said, um, when somebody converts and goes through, you know, an experience like that, it is pretty amazing. It's hard to sort of figure out, well, if it's not that, then what was it? You know, what was it that changed them so, so profoundly if it, wa- if it wasn't this real connection with, with, you know, Jesus that you just talked about?
1: Well said. And within the next 24 hours, I mean, tens of thousands of people will make this uh, seemingly simple decision to become a follower of Jesus. I mean, it is unquestionably the fastest growing movement globally. And someone has to step back and say, there has to be maybe more than just a really kind man with beautiful teachings from thousands of years ago, something radical has happened. How are we still talking about Jesus Christ thousands of years later? There's been a lot of great men, a lot of great women that have lived, and yet Jesus seems to be, um, the, if not the single most important subject still talked about, he is certainly real close.
3: Why do you think so here's another loaded question for you? Well why not just throw another one out there? Why do you think so many people reject the message then? You know, what, what do you think's at the root of that?
1: Well I think I think we probably all have to do a bit a bit of a better job. I know I've got my work cut out for me and I wanna add, I want to be part of the solution and not the problem. And I think the solution, the antidote is we, we we've gotta we've gotta continue to be storytellers. And I think Jesus was a storyteller and he revealed himself in stories and beautiful metaphors. And also, uh, some of the mystery. I mean, he he left people scratching their head at times, because I think, um, you know, if someone can be talked into accepting Jesus and his claims, well, they certainly can be talked out of it. And so I think it's imperative that we stick to the beauty, the mystery, the majesty of the story. Tell the story of God's love. Go through the ancient scripture and let it speak for itself, so so, so to speak. And um, I think we've got to stay true to that, and, and maybe not... Um, you know, try to convince people. I've always said, you know, if God is real, well, then we've got no real reason to try to prove him or defend him. If he's real, he can really stand up for himself and really reveal himself to people. And so, I think in that sense, as Jesus followers and maybe as those who are doing our best to get the story out to the world, we probably can relax a little bit, and just trust that as we are faithful to share our life transformations you said a moment ago, and the beautiful story that's outlined for us in, in 66 books over 1,600 years and 44 different authors, if we'll let this thing just speak and tell the story, I just got a sense that it, it, it is unstoppable. This, this this love revolution, this grace revolution, this this Jesus message I think is absolutely unstoppable, and um, I'm, I'm just excited to see what the future holds. I really believe um, something very special is unfolding, uh, even as we speak.
3: Yeah, which is which is an inspirational message, considering again how you know you look at the Middle East, you look at what's going on with ISIS and all that, and it's sort of like mind-boggling. But even in there, you see these stories of people who are you know surviving through this. These Christians who continue to worship despite being displaced and living in these camps, and you know you definitely see that that message shining through. And you know, it's it's inspiring as much as it's disturbing. You know, the, the ISIS part of it's disturbing, but the inspiring part is seeing how people persevere and rely on their faith through that.
1: Um, yeah, well, well said.
3: Let, so let me ask you, as, as a pastor, I mean, you're in the trenches, you're preaching, you're an author— What's the biggest issue that you have faced, the biggest struggle as a pastor, and it may be something that you've you know already gone through and it's over, or maybe it's something that's a challenge on a daily basis, but you know for you, what's the biggest challenge?
1: yeah, I appreciate you asking that um certainly on a real personal level, relational level, um, the loss of my dad who who was my hero and it was you know, six years, I'm um, fighting off multiple myeloma cancer of the blood, I believe it is, and, um, yeah, losing my dad at 60 years old, he was in the prime of his life, he was in great health, he was, uh, know, had moved from not just being my dad, but also being one of my best friends, and, and I want to be like him in so many ways, and so that was, that was really, really painful at the same time, it was a thrill to celebrate the 60 years, that I did have an amazing dad, which a lot of Um, young men and young women never get that opportunity and so in that sense I was grateful but that was that was difficult the grief the loss the pain and I think moving on from there um, just uh, probably at times feeling like I'm I'm so um, not not prepared and what I mean by prepared that I'm I don't have the goods to really lead Um, our community has grown to, to multiple thousands and Sometimes it's like, man, I, if they only knew how average and ordinary I really am. And, you know, I felt like in the first year, I kind of preached all the all the sermons I had, to be honest, Billy. It was like, well, that's <laughs> kind of all the good ones I got. What am I going to do now? And I'm looking at thousands of people looking back at me, and they're like, gee, you miss your dad. And I'm thinking, I miss my dad, too. And I have no idea what I'm going to preach next Sunday. And I think for me, it was this beautiful journey of learning that I... You know, reliance is everything, isn't it? Relying on God and surrender. And I suppose that's where we find this profound peace in the midst of storms and challenges and difficulties. You know, when you're weak, then you're strong, and the power of Christ rests upon you. And this is what the Scripture declares to us. And So, I've learned profound reliance, and not not, not the fun way, I must say. I mean, I had no choice. I was going to be up in front of thousands of people next Sunday, and so it was just like, Oh God, what do you want to say? This is your story this is your earth, it's your world, you know, I just want to want to trust you. And so, but, you know, that's a challenge every day, feeling uh, so underqualified, feeling certainly weak and broken and uh, not the brightest guy on the block either. But uh, there's something about God that's just incredible. He loves to use average, ordinary, broken people, damaged goods, and uh, use us to really help others and serve others. And so the challenge continues even while I'm saying this, it sounds so eloquent, uh, meaning it sounds so easy and so simple, but it is it is a daily challenge of going, man, even though I feel like I can't do this and feel like it's not in me to do it, uh, my confidence is, is that God called me and He's and He's given me grace to, to complete the task.
3: I appreciate you being honest about that, too, because I think that, you know, the, the really cool thing about that is it helps people resonate and realize that pastors are humans, too. I think, you know, so many times there's sort of a separation between what people perceive as real life in the pulpit you know that that pastors but pastors are humans too and and you guys go through the same sorts of struggles um that anybody else faces and i think to be honest about that is is a rare thing um you don't hear pastors doing that every day so i, I appreciate that and uh oh, thanks billy well let, so let me ask you um one last question and that is yeah. what do you what do you think the biggest issue for the church collectively is right now
1: yeah, I think um, somewhere somewhere in there, I certainly can't can't answer this question without, um, you know, I think of Billy Graham, and I think of, you know, when he was asked, if he could fix one thing in the world, um, what would it be? And I think he spoke to the idea of, of racism and, and prejudice. And uh, if you look at that in a grand scheme across the earth, you, you get it. I mean, it, I guess that leads us to conclude words like reconciliation and forgiveness and the ability to put yourself in another man's world. Um, uh, loving people, serving people, it's all in, I think, what what Dr. Graham was speaking to. I think in addition to that, because I certainly um, tend to really agree with men that are a lot smarter than me and have been around a lot longer than me, so I defer to them in a lot of ways of course, but I think somewhere in there is, is also the great challenge ahead of us. Jesus was um, frankly, in modern terms, he, he he would have been blogged about and he would have been hated and they would have created negative hashtags to persecute him in the interaction he was having with really, really bad people. Jesus was seen eating with infamous people, with despicable people, with despised people. He was very, very misunderstood because of some of the relationships that he had with people that were were fundamentally and categorically bad, just bad people. And I think the, the, the Church, of course, exists for the world. It exists to get the, the, the message of Jesus of love to the world. And I, I just pray that as the Church, um, we're looking out and not looking in, that we are thinking to ourselves, how can we put ourselves in another man's world? And you know, for the, the, the message of Jesus' love to get out to every corner of the globe, it's not going to be neat and tidy and clean and fit on a perfect spreadsheet um, or a perfect uh, uh, managed brand on a website. It, it's, it's going to be misunderstood at times. It's going to be messy. But I think that is so um, in line at times and indicative of our Savior. And um, I just pray that we have the courage and that we have the trust and the faith and that we lay down our reputations long enough to really engage with people who have been hurt in the name of Jesus, who have misunderstood faith because of some of the abuse, and even just studying history, there are people who want nothing to do with faith because of history. And I think to make them out as bad, I think is error. I think these are people who just, are scared, and rightfully so. They've done their homework and they're concerned about the abuse and the control um, that oftentimes religion and in the name of Jesus has been has been uh, placed upon people. And so I'm just praying that we would all, you know, take our everyday, ordinary, average lives and take big steps, courageous moments to engage people that maybe are misunderstood and broken and don't look like us and talk like us and act like us. And, um, Frankly, even as we're we're loving people that are far from God or don't know God, we will grow as well, and we will change. And I think the world will be able to see the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus that I think um, has the the potential to to transform um, the, the whole earth.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's it's interesting, you, you sort of mentioned some people who might be cautious about religion. I always think about the people who have sort of left the Westboro Baptist Church. And I always think, gosh, you know, some of them have become atheists, and they're so turned off by religion, and you almost can't blame them, because it's like, you know, they went through this control and these horrible scenarios, and, and they were doing all these things for so many years, and then they leave that. And, and you know, you're right, you've got to sort of figure out where people are and sort of meet them where they are and, and understand that and put yourself in their shoes and I think that's a that's a very, very important point that you make and then I lied because I said my last question was my last question but <laughs> one, one more for you. i was just curious how many how many people do you guys have now at the City Church? How many uh, members?
1: Uh, I mean, it certainly varies uh, Sunday to Sunday but, but kind of across we've got six different locations and that, that ranges from, from Seattle to LA to Guadalajara and it, it you know it, it fluctuates thousands at times, but yeah, I mean it could be as many as as, as ten thousand. It's grown quite a bit.
3: Yeah, and and I mean if you were to say like five years ago, and I know you might not have these, I'm putting you on the spot with these numbers, but I guess yeah. how my question is how rapid has the growth been? Um, and you it, know, you, and then I guess the challenges that come along with that. I'm just curious about that.
1: Yeah, it's I mean it's probably doubled or more. I'm not entirely sure on the stats. I kind of do my best. I think our our motto at our church has always been, I pray that we're a small church with a lot of people. And so we're really passionate about protecting that value, that every single person has a story and matters and has infinite value before God. And so statistics and that sort of thing and attendance numbers can be really misleading and and can also communicate that maybe, you know, we're just about the growth. But, But at the same time, every number matters because it represents an individual. And so... Yeah, the church has grown pretty rapidly the last five years. Um, someone asked me recently, how's it going? And I said, it may be growing a little too fast. Um, for me, just being a husband and a young, a dad with young kids and that sort of thing. But uh, I trust God in, 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 all of this and, uh, and know that it's, you know, it, it's not, it's not certainly not my church. It's, it's God's church. And, uh, I, I get a privilege of just, uh, being, being one of the primary voices in the community and, and, uh, leading people. It's, uh, it's a thrill.
3: All right, now I promise this is the last question. I, I really do promise. I, I do. Why do you think the, the growth has been so rapid? Uh,
1: I think um, the, the, the first thing has to be said, I, I, I really have no idea. And, and maybe that's a bit of a lie as well. I mean, I have ideas, I have notions, but, but then again, I don't. Um, I think God's grace is mysterious. I think it keeps all of us from turning building churches into an equation or a mathematical formula. Um, I think it's all hidden in the mystery of grace, and um, I love to talk. I'm not sure why people like to listen, but I'm I'm super grateful for that. And um, Honestly, I think there is a global increase in a desire to at least explore the idea of God and mercy and grace and forgiveness. I think people are feeling profoundly displaced and isolated. And broken. And I think there's a resurgence globally that I think is all in the providence of God. And I think in, in Seattle and LA and, and Mexico, we're having the privilege of kind of uh, riding that wave that I think is very sovereign and very special. And we just, it's, it's really sacred to me. Every person matters so much. And so we just want to continue to be diligent and, and, and love people and add value to people. And and kind of let the results be up to God because, of course, they are. We can't force anything, create anything, or manufacture anything. And even if we could, I wouldn't want to do that uh, because it's artificial. We we want this to be genuine and authentic and organic. And in all of it, I hope that people really encounter a living God. And uh, to say that I'm excited for the future is an understatement.
3: Listen, I I love it, and I appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking to you again soon.
1: Thanks, Billy. I really appreciate it, man.
0: Billy, that was an awesome, awesome interview. Thanks for doing that. We're going to take a break, and we will be right
2: back. The Church Boys. Back to the (laughs) church boys.
0: Welcome back to the Church Boys. Billy, loved, loved, loved your interview. Uh, We've only got a couple minutes here, so I was going to ask you if there was one thing that you could have people listening to this show remember or take from that interview, what was the thing that you would say Remember
3: this. this is the this is the crux of it. I think it would be, as I sort of teased before, the fact that this guy is saying, you know, that he struggles with um feeling worthy, feeling worthy of being a pastor, feeling worthy of having the audience he has. I think that that we can all relate to that at different points in our life. and that was really a strong and also like a noble thing for a pastor to admit because I think a lot of times, we look at pastors, we elevate them, but they also, because of that, look at themselves in an elevated way sometimes as a result of that. And he really didn't come across that way at all to me. He was very honest about what was difficult for him to accept about himself. All right, good. Look at you, look at you summarizing. You could have just I know. That. I'm so could, good at that. We could aren't I could have skipped
0: that whole interview and just had you say that, and we'd have been good. Been a nice, easy show to record everything, but no, you've got to throw all that stuff. At you. Yeah, got to throw an interview. I know, got
3: to shake things That's up. That's fine. Chris we like, 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 like to. Swift. and shake we are, it up. and we are
0: working. You know what? Making Taylor Swift references does not help you in the manhood department. Hey, Swift, oh, geez, so okay. We really have. We really need to have a discussion because there is <laughs> something seriously wrong with you, my friend. Um, so I was going to ask you something else, but now totally, totally. Oh, I was going to say. So next week, we're working on getting an interview with... um, I blanked on her name. Help me with her name. Brittany Louise. All right. We're having an interview with Brittany Louise. And we really are, folks, working on getting some interviews with some more folks for the show. We think that you will really like it. We enjoy talking to people who actually know more. Including
3: the Minister Louis Farrakhan.
0: We enjoy talking to people who know more... I was just about to say, who know more than we do. There's one person on this planet who maybe is... I call myself quite stupid and quite dumb. There might be one person on this planet who really, I could say... You know what? I'm a brainiac. Let's stand next to you. Are you holding your President b- President Obama? No. <laughs> okay. So, uh, but we're working on getting some more interviews for you. If you have things you'd like to t- talk to us about, you can catch us on Twitter um, Twitter.com slash churchboys uh, talk to us there. Find us on Facebook. Find us at thechurchboys.com. All that kind of stuff. We want to hear from you and people also you'd like to hear us interview. If we can if we can finagle it, we will finagle it. Billy is the ultimate finagler. So, Indeed. So normally at this point, I would ask uh, Billy any words of wisdom for our audience. And he would reply, read your Bibles," And I would reply, read the blaze, but I was going to, I talked to Billy before we did the show. And I, I he said, this would be okay. I was going to take up just, just a minute. And um, I'm turned down Billy's mic. So he doesn't um, interrupt me. Uh, I just wanted to take a minute and say, um, I lost a friend this week. Uh, actually the morning of the day that we recorded this show on Friday uh, March 6th, a friend of mine named, uh, Dr. Irving Laird passed away. He was 83 years old and he was a mentor for me and, uh, meant a lot to me and really changed my life. He grabbed a hold of a, of a young college kid and, uh, shook him up and slapped him around, but in a loving, caring way, in a way that, um, not very many people are able to do. And he's done that for hundreds of young college men. And, uh, really changed a lot of lives. And he always remembered all of our names and our wives' names and our kids' names and um, celebrated with us when we went through great things and cried with us when we went through not-so-great things. And um, we lost him today. He uh, had leukemia and uh, very aggressive form. And the time between when we found out about his illness and the time that he died was just a matter of a couple weeks. And so um, I just wanted to say, love you, Doc. Love you, Beverly, and uh, thank you for everything. Uh, And thanks for listening to The Church Boys. We'll talk to you later.